Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. We are so glad that you're here and uh, that you've chosen to spend a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. We like to start our services each Sunday with a, a, a word from Scripture. And so this morning we're going to hear from Psalm 78. It says, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. Would you stand with me as we start our service with prayer this morning? God, thank you so much for how much you love us. I thank you for the deeds that you have done. We thank you for your power and that the wonders that you have performed both here and around the world, both in our lives and the things we've heard from other people. God, I pray that you would continue to let your power be be seen, that you would continue to bestow and do wonderful things in our lives. Be honored by everything we say and do. In your name we pray. Amen. Before we we sing, uh, we invite you to to declare our faith this morning. We're going to say the Apostles' Creed, and we do this to uh, remind ourselves and to start our service very focused on what we believe. So let's go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I was challenged this week by Pastor Jason to talk about the first part of our worship structure, rejoicing. What is it? What is rejoicing? I picture a joy that is continuous. Paul said, be rejoicing always. That's a direct translation from, from the Greek. It's a, it's a continuous state. And he said this to a group of people who were under tremendous persecution. More persecution than any of us in America have experienced. And yet he tells them to focus on the Lord and what he's done for us. If you read the rest of the passage, it says, flee from evil, hold fast to the good. That's what happens when you rejoice. You flee from evil. And you hold on to the good. I see the evidence of your goodness.
You are our most high redeemer. And Lord God, we just turn our hearts and eyes to you. I pray that you would speak to us this morning, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and instruct us in your ways that we can live here among each other, our brothers and sisters, with love and grace that you give. Lord, please help us to forgive those that have wronged us, that have hurt us or our family. Lord God, I pray that we would lay down our defense and let you fight for us. God, I pray that your favor would just be a shield about us this morning, Lord. Open doors for those here that need doors open in their jobs, in their um, homes, Lord God, in their community, in their ministries, Lord. Lord God, I pray for families and marriages, Lord, for this community, for the kids of this community. Lord, what the enemy goes after, I pray that we would rise up and show that you are greater, you are bigger, you are mightier, that your love is better, that your peace is freer, and your yoke is easier. And God, I pray that you would just heal and provide this morning, provide healing for our bodies. Lord, provide for those in financial distress, Lord, or any kind of financial need that even though it's a time of great insecurity and inflation and every, all the things that the world tells us we have to be afraid of, Lord God, that you would step in and have a work in our finances. God, for those that are just tired and sick of waiting, I pray this morning you would meet them where they're at. Lord, be glorified in our homes today, in this church today, in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a moment and greet somebody this morning. Well, good morning. It is good to see you this morning, and it's good to see you greeting each other. And for those of you who are joining us online, we're glad that you're joining us, too. If you are here, and this is one of your first few weeks, and you haven't filled out a connection card or gone over to the Information Center, we encourage you to do that. We'd like to know who you are. We'd like to get to know you a little bit better and how we can serve you and maybe how you can get involved here. So please do that. Um, If this is one of the first times you've been over there, there's a gift there waiting for you. So I encourage you to do that after service. Um, today happening um, is at 4 o'clock is Youth and Awana. Awana is meeting here at 4. Youth is changing up their schedule because today is the perfect day for a pool party, right? Sure. That's what youth is doing today. So if you have a teenager who thinks that today would be a great day to go swimming, um, you can see... or just have some fun with the youth. They are not meeting at the Fellowship Center today. They're meeting somewhere else. So you can see Gary if your teen would like to be part of that. And teens, don't forget you're meeting at the Anemas today. 
Um, also coming up this Saturday is our rummage sale that's happening in the Family Fellowship Center at nine, from nine to two. Um, this, what, everything that gets sold there benefits our food pantry, so we encourage you to come. So maybe someone else's discarded thing is a treasure to you, um, so we can encourage you to come. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors to come and um, be part of the rummage sale happening this Saturday. And if you have some things, they maybe will still take some things. Um, if you want to drop them off this week up at the Fellowship Center, um, that can be sold at the rummage sale. All right. Next Saturday, not this Saturday, the 14th is our work day over at the Family... Everything's happening over there at the Family Fellowship Center. Um, put it on your calendar. I think they're going to start around 8.30. Um, wear dirty clothes because you'll be dumpster throwing. Um, so if you are able to do that, you can meet a team up there at the Fellowship Center. We're going to be cleaning out the basement, um, just sort of dumpstering old stuff that we don't use anymore and cleaning up. So we would love for you to be a part of that. Even though it's a dirty job, it's a fun thing to do together. So it's a little bit of community as well. Okay. Lastly, as we talk about our food, as a rummage sale benefiting our food pantry, um, I talked to Pat this morning and she told me they serve about 40 families a week and she said um, they've been getting two or three new families every week that come. They line up early. Um, they wait for the doors to get open um, and we are able to serve 40 families a week from our food pantry. Um, so thank you for those of you who regularly give even to that specific ministry. Not only is it a way to give out food to the people who come, it's a way to make connections in our community. I know for a fact that the um, volunteers there um, get to know the people. They get to know the struggles in their lives. They pray for them. They inquire about them when they're sick or when they don't show up. Um, so it is a way that this church reaches out into the community. So thank you for doing that. Um, again, if you want to specifically help them, you can do that through giving and you can do that through going to the rummage sale. Um, and it is a ministry that for sure reaches outside of these doors. And if you know someone who can benefit from the food pantry, any of these surrounding areas, invite them to come. Anyone is welcome to come and use that service. Their doors are wide open on Thursdays um, from 1.30 to 4 o'clock. Um, please be a part of that if you need to. Um, and so as we thank you for your giving, we are so grateful for those of you who give faithfully each week. Um, for those of you who are new here, as you learn about this place, as you learn about the community, we pray that you would give to the, these things as well um, as we work together to make this a place that glorifies God in our homes, in this place, and in our community. We pray that you would be a part of that financially as well. So on after all of those things, let's stand together as we continue to worship.
to experience the presence of the Lord. The church is important. Church is important. I say often that church is better when you're here because it's important for us to be able to to encourage each other, to engage each other, to uh, wrap our arms around each other and walk beside each other, to pick up the one who's hurting, to to walk beside and for the one who's struggling. But it's the most important thing we can do. The way, the reason we can encourage each other is because we can experience the presence of God. And so, more than any reason today, the reason we're here is to welcome God's presence, the Holy Spirit, into this room. And so, can we just sing that a little bit longer? Can we just make that kind of like a declarative statement? And as you do that, I'm aware that this week's been rough for some of us. Can you just try to just put that circumstance or those circumstances aside for a minute? And let God come and let his presence be present with you. He doesn't take away all the problems. It would be great if he did. But he doesn't take away all the problems, but he's present with us while we're in the problems. So as we sing that one more time, I encourage you to invite God's presence with you so that he is with you, that you feel him, that you know that you by faith declare that he's with you in the midst of what you're going through. faith that your presence is with us. We know by understanding that Bible tells us where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in their midst. We know you are here, but God, I pray that your presence would be so rich, would be manifested in such a way that the struggling would know that they're not alone, that the hurting would be healed, that the, the destitute would find hope in you, and that you would be honored by everything that we say and we do. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you are dismissed to Kids Church. And while they're going, check this out. Well, good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Faith Discovery Church, and I'm thrilled that you're here this morning. And if you're joining us online, thank you so much for for hanging out. We encourage you to uh, continue to engage, excuse me, to talk in the midst of the chat, chat with each other, and encourage each other through the remaining parts of the service. Uh, Thank you for being here. Um, It's October 1st. Sometimes October 1st starts my favorite time of the year. 
Other times, I'm not really interested in October. And pretty much that's dependent on whether the Red Sox have made the playoffs. There are years where I don't sleep much in October because the Red Sox play games that last till the next day and a half. But this year they stunk. So they're not in the playoffs this year, so I will sleep fine uh, this year. But many of you know I love baseball. Baseball's my favorite sport. When, when one of my sons decided to stop playing baseball and started playing lacrosse because it was more fun, it was less boring, it broke my heart. I love baseball. My favorite team is the Boston Red Sox. My second favorite team is the Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox and baseball have been a part of my life since before I can remember. Uh, um, today marks the end of another rough season, but I have experienced in my life good times with the Red Sox. But it's not just me. I'm not, see, I'm not just a Red Sox fan. I'm a pettibone. And to be a pettibone is to love the Red Sox. It's, it's ingrained in our blood. It's part of our DNA. We love Jesus and we love the Red Sox. And depending on how good they are, you can, might want to, you can, it might be hard to figure out which one we love more, to be honest, at certain parts of my life. But, uh, and so there are things that we, our family has, my, my father's here today. He will attest to everything I'm going to tell you about the Red Sox. They're part of our thing. My father grew outside, grew up out just outside the city of Boston. The Red Sox were important to him. They were a part of his growing up stories. They're part of it for us. And so the, as Pettibones, we have a lot of things that we don't have in common. There are pettibones who don't agree on uh, politics, on faith, on pop culture. But the the one thing we all have in the two, the one thing we all have in common is the Red Sox. And in re- recent years, the Red Sox have been quite creative in in learning and finding ways to capitalize financially on the rabidness of their fan base. They get us to spend money on them in crazy ways. One of the things that they do is in January of every year, when there's no baseball season, is they hold a fan convention in Connecticut where they bring in members of their team and they bring in uh, past uh, members. And if a team won a championship, and that's happened four times in the last uh, 19 years, I just want to repeat, that's happened four times uh, in my lifetime. They bring in the whole t- team and you can get autographs. You can they have question and answer periods. You can engage the team and you can feel like you're part of the Red Sox and they can sell you more stuff and they can make more money. And so several years ago, because we are crazy, um, we joined the thousands of fans who descended upon one of the casinos in, in, in Connecticut called Foxwoods. The thousands of fans who just were there for Red Sox weekend. And it was awesome. And uh, my grandfather, my dad's dad, years ago, he was kind of into the Red Sox, but his sons were into the Red Sox, and so they bought him a Red Sox jacket. And that Red Sox jacket is now a family heirloom. It's been passed down from uh, generation to generation as long as it can fit somebody, and it's ended up with my son, and my, uh, my oldest son brought it to the Red Sox convention and had it signed by all of the Hall of Famers uh, who are part of the Red Sox. These things matter to us. 
And so we were there for a couple of days. And uh, if you've ever been to Foxwoods, I'm not, this is not a promo for them, but if you've ever been there, uh, it was, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of area. It's huge. There's multiple hotels. It was a great opportunity to, to, to crest the hill. You come down into this valley where this is this like beautiful oasis. And to tell my kids, you see how beautiful that's it, that is? That's because the casino always wins. It's a great opportunity for me to tell them how to be careful with that stuff. And so we come into this place and, and we, uh, we're there for uh, two days. And uh, the end of the second day, we ended up in a, in a portion of the property that was very far away from where we had parked. And my father was there. He's here this morning. Tell the story. My uncle was there. And I said, you know, you guys stay here. I'll go get the car and I'll come and pick you up. We also had uh, my two oldest sons with us. And so James and Jonah were there. And I said to James and Jonah, you guys want to come with me to walk, which is probably, you know, a good 15, 20, 25 minute walk. And Jonah said, I'll come because Jonah's always up for movement. And James is always up for the most efficient way to do anything. So he was like, you go, I'll stay here. And so we walk, uh, we go on our journey and we walk through uh, the obstacles and the mazes that they try to make you walk through you so you'll spend more money. And we're walking through hotel lobbies. We finally get to the far end of the, the property. We go out of the door to the uh, to the parking lot, to the parking lot where our car is parked and there's a limousine pulling up to the curb. And out of the car walks Pedro Martinez. Now, some of you don't know what that means. But if you're a fan of baseball, you know this guy's one of the best pitchers in the history of the game. He's a Red Sox legend and he's, for some reason, showing up almost at the end of the convention. But here he is and there's nobody around. It's me, Jonah, and Pedro Martinez and his limo driver. And I recognize him. Jonah doesn't have a clue what's going on. I said, Jonah, do you know who that is? Jonah, do you know who that is? I said, go ask him for a picture. Go, go ask him for a picture. And this is what happened. This is Jonah and Pedro Martinez just at the curb of, of, of this empty parking lot. And he encourages Jonah. We have this great moment. He went on to play for the Mets. He wasn't good for the Mets, but he was great for the Red Sox. You, we walked, and then the best part of that story is we left, got in the car, and went and picked up my father, my uncle, and my son. And when we got in the car, they expected, I think, to us to be tired and worn out from the walk, and we're pumped. And they're like, what are you so excited about? And I'm like, you got, you're not going to believe what just happened. And we show them the picture, and uh, they're, they're awed. And James is disappointed he didn't come now. And I think that added to the excitement of Jonah because it made his brother disappointed. But we had this incredible experience out of nowhere. You never know who you're going to run into in life. I was thinking about that story this week as I was thinking about Paul's experience on the road to Damascus. Uh, as he goes to try to continue to persecute Christians. That we've been talking about that for several weeks. If you're new with us, we've been focused on Acts 9 and, and this story that Paul, who's at this point in the story is going by the name of Saul and he's passionate in his pursuit of eradicating things that are causing impurities in Israel. And one of the things that are causing impurities is this group of fresh start religious zealots who are worshiping this guy who, uh, and saying he's the Messiah, Jesus. 
And on the road, on a normal day, in the middle of nothing going on, he's just going to persecute more Christians. Out of nowhere, Acts 9 tells us the risen Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus and radically changes his life. Meeting Pedro Martinez on the curb radically changed about 45 minutes of story time for Jonah and I. But meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus radically changes all of Paul's life. Everything about his faith changes. Now, his personality doesn't change. He was a zealot before, he's still a zealot. He was passionate about what he believed before, he's passionate about what he believes now. But, uh, but it changes who he, what he thinks is most important. And so we've read this over the past couple of weeks, we're going to read this one more time. I've got a note here to tell me to read slowly because I tend to really fly through this stuff. So let's read from Acts. If you're following along, it's in Acts chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible on your phone or in your hands, you can follow along on the screen. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. To proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house, of the, uh, went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about this experience, this, this, this history-altering experience that Saul or Paul has on the road to Damascus. And our focus has been, th- has been on the things that Paul discovered during and immediately following this interaction. We've talked about how Paul discovered his purpose. 
We've talked about how Paul discovered peace and learned what true peace really is. We talked about how Paul discovered the promises that God had for him and for Israel and for all humanity when Paul Paul discovered these things when he met Jesus. And so we'll continue that pattern today. But before we talk about that, before we continue that pattern, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to accept or come to faith in Jesus. We talk about, we use that phrase a lot. Come to, uh, I use the phrase come to faith or faith journey. We talk about accepting Jesus as our savior. We've, we've, uh, if you've been a part of any history, you've heard about becoming a Christian or being born again. These are phrases that mean something. But for those of us who haven't grown up in the church, there's sometimes some confusion about what it means. And for those of us who've grown up in the church, it's easy to forget the fundamental of what it means of coming to faith or putting our faith in Jesus. When you accept Christ as your Savior, when you put your faith in Jesus, you are immediately welcomed into God's family. In order to understand, understand what it means to have faith in Jesus, we must first, I think, understand the nature of faith itself. Faith, I would, I would, I would say this morning, I would, has three elements. Knowledge, assent, and trust. First, faith comes from an element of knowledge. Faith must have content. There must be something or someone that we have faith in. It's popular to say things like have faith or believe, but these things are often ambiguous, and sometimes they're even meaningless until we define in what or whom we have faith. To have faith in Jesus, we must have first have the knowledge about who he is. In order to have faith in Jesus, we must know that he is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the one who came to earth from heaven to save people from their sins. We must believe that Jesus is God's one and only son who took on human flesh, lived a perfect life in loving obedience to God, uh, who willingly sacrificed his life by dying on the cross rose again triumphantly from the grave after three days and dwelt among people again for a period and then ascended and currently is seated at the right hand of God waiting for a time when he will return. And during that time, the scripture teaches us, teaches us that he is interceding. He is praying for us while he's there. In order to have faith in Jesus, we first have to have an understanding of what we're believing. We who have faith in Christ believe he is God's son who came to earth to make a way for us to be restored in right relationship with God. Now, in order to believe that, you have to understand that you have to understand and admit that Without him, we are not in right relationship with God. And so when we come to faith, when we talk about having faith in Jesus, it's important that we understand what we're saying. When we come to faith in Jesus, there's nothing we need to do 
accept the free gift of love and salvation that Jesus offers. Now, we live in a world that does not condition us to understand that. Because everything we do in our world is earned. And so it can be difficult to comprehend something that's free. In fact, we're often quite uncomfortable with free. Especially if it's from someone we know. I have teenage sons. One thing, like my family in the Red Sox, one thing that all teenage boy or most teenage boys have in common is that they like to eat a lot. And so um, Jonah and his friends like to go to quick check. And so oftentimes I get to play the Uber driver to quick check. And so we'll drive there and I will say to Jonah, here's my card, pay for everybody. And These kids in the back seat or in the rest of the car will say, no, you don't have to do that. It's uncomfortable for them to receive free. No, we got money. You don't don't have to pay for us. No, you don't understand. I got more money than you, and I want to help you today. So I'm going to pay for you. But it's uncomfortable for them. Now, sometimes it's not uncomfortable for us to take free. But if we know it's costing someone we love, there's a hesitancy to it. There should be, there should be no hesitancy on our part to receive the free gift of salvation from Christ. He did all of the work necessary to make it happen, and He just wants us to receive it. You don't have to earn it. There's no behavioral, uh, component. There's no point to where you have to reach to where you're, okay, I'm, I receive it. When Jesus died, He died on a cross. And on that cross, in, uh, it, it tells us in the Gospels, specifically this story tells, uh, is from Luke. There are two criminals beside him, one on each side. There's a criminal beside him who's a thief who's done nothing but be a decrepit human being. And on the cross, as he's about to die, we read in Luke chapter 9, I mean Luke chapter 23, um, one, starting at verse 39, we don't have this back there, don't worry about it. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, it says. Aren't you the Messiah? Save us and yourself. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then Jesus said, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's nothing we need to do in our life that makes us worthy of the gift of salvation that Jesus offers. We just can receive it. And when we receive it, we are welcomed into his family. Second aspect, knowledge and then assent. Faith contains an element of assent. To assent means to agree to the knowledge we have is, that the knowledge we have is true. Now, we might be tempted to stop here and think we've arrived at a complete definition of faith. 
However, having knowledge about who Jesus is and even assenting to the knowledge, uh, to that knowledge does not that mean that a person has faith in Jesus. You can know that Jesus is real. You can say that he's the son of God. That doesn't mean that you trust that he's the son of God, that you believe that he's the son of God. That's the third element of our faith. Trust. To have faith in Jesus means to trust him. To have faith in Jesus means to rely on him and resign oneself to him. Those who, of us who have faith in Jesus rely on him as our savior. And we resign ourselves to putting him first in our life rather than us first in our life. To trust me, Jesus means to believe that his death was accepted by God as a payment for our sin. That his perfect life and righteousness have been credited to us as a basis of faith in him. To trust in Jesus is to believe in his teachings, to believe that the promises are true. And to resign ourselves to follow his ways in our life and not our own. That is completely free. All you have to do is say, I accept that. Jesus, I accept this gift that you're offering. I want you to be Lord in my life. I've been a horrible person. The thief said, everything I did put me here deservedly. But remember me when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus said, kingdom, you're coming to paradise with me today. Not, I'm going to let you get off the cross now. You've got to live 40 days of good behavior, and then we'll see how things go. No, freely it is given. We have to understand the gift that Jesus gives us. Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Now, Paul's a learned man. He has a lot of knowledge. But he comes to faith not because of his knowledge, not because of his energy, but simply because he realizes in that moment that he was wrong. And he surrenders his life to Jesus. And Jesus fully and welcomes, fully accepts and welcomes him into his family. When we come to faith in Jesus, we are welcomed into the family of God. There's no but there. But the story doesn't end there. God's plan for humanity after the the entrance of sin into the world is not simply that we would be saved. If God's plan were that we would be saved, then when we accept Jesus, we die. And no one would want that. But God's plan is that we receive God, receive Jesus into our life, and the plans of God, the plans that God has for us, begin to unfold, and we walk into the reason reason God had created us. God has a purpose for us. He has plans for us. He has promises for us. And in order to do that, we must first understand the fundamentals, that we, we, there's no, no, uh, requirement other than accepting of Jesus to come to faith and be part of his family. But the story doesn't end there because God's plan doesn't stop there. God has a plan. Acceptance of Christ is step one of experiencing God's plans for our life. 
God has a whole has the whole plan of our lives in front of him. He only reveals a little bit to us. Sometimes that can be frustrating for some of us. But I promise you, it's for your safety. God's word, the scripture teaches us, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The picture there that you get as you read that that poetry is a person walking through the woods with a lamppost. And it only lights the two or three feet in front of their feet so they don't misstep on a stump. Well, God, can't you show me everything that's out there? You don't want to know everything that's out there. God's in control of all of the darkness. Trust him in his leading. He has a plan. He only reveals a bit at a time. He knows the end from the beginning. But the human condition which has to be met if we're to, if we're to know and do God's will, is submission to him and desire to obey. This Acts 9 story that we've been reading is Luke's account of the, tra- of the transaction. But he later goes on in Acts 22, he dictates what Paul is saying when he talks about this interaction with Jesus. In Acts 22, it says, uh, Paul's talking and he says, I... This happened on the road to Damascus, and the risen Jesus appeared to me, and I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. The assignment of what to do to fulfill purpose is not Paul-specific in the world. Now, Paul's assignment is specific to Paul, but you have an assignment, and you have an assignment, and I have an assignment. God didn't create any of us by accident. He didn't create any of us without a purpose. Everything has a plan, and you're part of his plan being unfolded in creation. He has a role for you to play in that. So how do you know what that is? That is a great question. We'll talk about that next week. Let's No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. The desire to learn God's will involves at least four things. I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but this is a primary list. You want to know what God's plan is your life for your life? First, start with prayer. Spend time with God in prayer, not solely devoted to finding out your purpose or, your plan, or God's plan for you. Spend less time trying to figure out what God's plan for you is and more time just getting to know God and his plan for you will begin to reveal itself. God wants to work in us and through us. But if we don't allow him to work in us, he'll, we, we inhibit his ability to work through us. So get to know God. Spend time with him. And sure, during your prayer time, ask him to reveal his plan for you. God, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Can you speak to me? But it's not just prayer. Study. Read scripture. We've been exposed to this a little bit just recently in, through David, through our worship time. He's reading in First Thessalonians 5, and he comes along this passage, and it's like a light from the ceiling shines down, and it says, rejoice continuously. Pray without ceasing and give thanks. And he realizes, boom, this should be the way we worship. 
It said, we were talking this morning. And he's like, Jason, it's as if God has spoken directly to me. And I can't, I don't know what to do with all of this energy that I've got because I'm so impassioned by this directive from God. God speaks to us through prayer. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. Third, prompt and unquestioning obedience. When you learn the voice of God, it's a voice that becomes more familiar to you as you learn it. If you haven't heard it, it's not going to be very, very, it's not going to be very easy to trust. But as you go on in your faith journey, as you mature in your walk with Christ, as you hear these leadings more and more, I cannot tell you this won't happen, but this has never happened to me, where the heavens open up and I hear an audible voice from heaven. Never happened to me. But I know the voice of God in my spirit. And I know that because I've experienced it. And I've learned to recognize it. And when I hear it, I trust it. Complete and implicit trust. And so with an understanding that faith in Christ is the, the, the Christ's acceptance in his family is free as long as we accept it. And my understanding that that's just the first step in what God has for us. I'm going to next, spend the next two or three minutes talking about how this unfolded in next steps for Paul. See, when, when Paul met Jesus, he discovered the, plan, the plans that God had for him. God had short-term plans for Paul. He told him what to do next. In the rest of Acts chapter 9, well, first God says, go to Damascus, meet Ananias. He does this. We read at the beginning, Paul was going to go to Damascus, gather up disciples of the way and take them back to Jerusalem. Well, he goes to Damascus, he meets Jesus, he gets healed, and he spends time in, in Damascus hanging out with the Christians instead of persecuting them. And then he goes back to Jerusalem. And when he gets back to Jerusalem, none of the Christians want any part of that guy. Because he's earned a reputation. You don't want to be around that guy. But a guy named Barnabas goes, trusts God's leading in his spirit, and brings Paul into relationship, into community with the rest of the believers. And it says says that he would uh, was there and walked freely amongst them and spent some time in Jerusalem. And then it's time for Paul's, Paul has a reputation of starting some stuff. And eventually in Jerusalem, some stuff starts. So they send Paul to Tarsus. And Scholars will tell us that anywhere from 6 to 13 years he spends in Tarsus. And during this time, God's working in him. And he's praying and reading the scripture and teaching and talking. But God's working in him. And then 13 years later, Barnabas goes, or we'll say 10. Let's just go with 10. 10 years later, Barnabas goes and gets him and they go to start working together. 
Because God had short-term plans for Paul, but he also had long-term plans for Paul. God's plans and purposes for our lives don't automatically show up just when we want them to. And there is a level of our participation in what God wants to do in and through us. And if we aren't willing to do the hard work and the long work and the discipling work of growing in our relationship with Jesus, we will miss out on what God wants to do in and through us in the long term. But it's not always easy. Ten years he went and was a nobody in the middle of nowhere. But he didn't give up. He doesn't stop. He's passionate about this experience he had and about this new understanding of the scriptures he has. And so he waits. We have no idea of the time period while Paul is in Tarsus. All we know is he's just there. Sometimes in life, you're going to be in positions, in places in life, and it feels like you're just there. But God, you had plans for me. I'm going to do big stuff. No, none of us have uh, any idea that God, like, that we think God's plans for us are the little stuff. We're all going to do the big stuff. Ten years he goes. And he grows in his relationship with faith. And if you're in your place right now in your life where you're like, I don't get it. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what God's plan for me is. I don't know. I feel like I'm lost. Let me encourage you. You're not lost and God's not late. Get to know him. Study his scriptures. Pray and trust and believe. And then out of some, you know, he met Jesus kind of like an out of nowhere. I have to believe since they didn't have iPhones. That Barnabas shows up 10 years later out of nowhere. Like, what? why today? Because today was the time that God's plan was for it to be unfolded. Jesus had long-term plans for Paul, but it required an engagement from Paul. God's gift of salvation is free to all of us. But if we want to walk into the plans that God has for us, it, it requires us to be obedient and to trust that God's got a better plan than we have. If you want to make it to heaven, you've fallen short of what the real goal is. The real goal is to experience Jesus right now in a very real way that he works in us and through us, that we become more like him in our every day. And so I've got some takeaways. We're going to run through them real quick. Then we're going to share communion together. First takeaway is Jesus died so that we can live. That happened. It's not a myth. It's truth. Second takeaway Jesus offers life to the fullest. 
John 10, 10, Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest, to the absolute. In abundance, you should have life. I've come to give you abundance of my presence is really what he's talking about there. Abundance of God's presence in your life. That's what God wants us to have. Sometimes we get that wrong and we think he wants us to have abundance of stuff. It's abundance of him. To live the life of abundance, to live the life of a fullness, it includes a plan for your life. Third takeaway, we must choose God's plan. In order to choose God's plan, to surrender, to understand, to say, God, I trust that your plan is better than my plan, is to choose his plan over your plan. I got plans for my life. I'm going to be X, Y, Z. That might be what you become. But if you say, God, unfold your plan in my life, you don't know what might be, you might become. Paul's plan was to become a government leader in a newly reformed Israel that didn't include Rome, that ejected Rome from its place and became this beautiful, ornate country. That was his plan. And then he meets Jesus and he says, all of that, all that stuff is, in wor- is worthless to compare to knowing Jesus. Lastly, when we choose God's plan, we position ourselves to receive his rewards. We like rewards. Rewards is a good word. Paul writes to Philippians and he says, to share in Christ's sufferings is to position himself to share in Christ's rewards. When you choose God's plan, it doesn't necessarily mean the road won't be bumpy. But if you will position yourself to receive, to walk in God's plan, no matter the circumstances that come, His presence is with you. And you are going to be called a prince or princess in God's kingdom. God has plans for you. My plan was that I was never going to ministry. Never. Wasn't doing it. You want to know why? I can say this because my parents are here. Because to be in ministry meant you didn't have enough money to buy good sneakers. And my parents... They understood the value of good sneakers. And you could buy good sneakers for $35. And so the Jordans, which I understood to be good sneakers, which cost $125 when I was in high school. Now some of them are like crazy, as if $125 wasn't crazy. But anyway, I digress. I had to pay the difference. And I worked for $4 an hour. And I slaved cleaning that stupid church building. $4 an hour, $4 an hour, $4 an hour. And then I'd go home and my father would call my mother on the phone because we didn't have cell phones. And he'd say, send Jason back because he didn't clean anything. 
I go back and re-clean the church late on a Saturday night, probably for no extra money. Because that was what my plan was. Because I wanted stuff. My parents didn't have a lot of money. They had devoted themselves to God. And they had trusted his finances. And I wanted to trust my finances. So I was going into business and I was going to make a lot of money. You might have plans. When I chased my plans, I had zero peace. None. Because what I had planned for my life and what God had planned for my life didn't align. And I wasn't able to find peace until I gave up my plans and my plans aligned with his plans. You want peace in your life? Put your plans away and trust God's plan for your life. Because he has plans for your life. so we will walk together and some of us will will see obvious fruit happen and we'll know exactly where God is leading us in the short term and in the long term and others of us will be like I don't have any idea what God is doing it seems like chaos is happening I can't figure it out and so we'll pray and we'll read scripture and we'll walk together because church is better when we're in this together And we will watch God unfold his plan in each of our lives and unfold his plan for us collectively as a church. And us collectively as a church will watch him unfold his plan for the church of Jesus. And we'll position ourselves to share not only in his sufferings, but in his rewards. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you that you have a plan for each one of us. thank you that out of nowhere you will meet us on a day we never expect much like you did for Paul but God this morning I pray that we would not settle for just the free gift of salvation that we would pursue the plans that you have created us for that we would pursue you and that you would work in us and through us in your name we pray Amen. We, just, we end each service with communion, and or most of our services with communion. I'm going to invite the elders forward to do that. If it's your first time with us, you are invited to participate. The way we do this is we ask you to stand and come to the center aisle the closest to you and come forward and receive the elements from uh, our elders. And while you do that, then you can go back to your chair and, and we'll share them together. If you're not able to make it forward, we'll find someone to bring it to you. If you're not comfortable in receiving this morning, that's okay. We're glad that you're here. There's no pressure on that. Worthy.
get to this portion of the service I read out of 1 Corinthians where Paul gives instructions to that church about how they should do this well. But this morning I want to look at Luke where Luke gives the account of Jesus' actual words. It says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover, not pacifier, I don't know why I said that, with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until... It finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After, um, and so he takes, takes the bread and he breaks it. And he blesses it. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that your sacrifice allow, it allows us the free gift of being welcomed into your family. I thank you that we, there's nothing that we have to do to earn that other than just simply say, I accept. In fact, if you're here this morning and you've not done that, if you're not sure you've done that, I, I'll tell you exactly how to do it. You simply say, Jesus, I accept you. Would you... Allow us to know your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you take the bread with me? He goes on to take the cup and he says, Sir, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. He says, this covenant, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus, you poured yourself out for us. I pray that we would live our lives out for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you take the drink? Would you stand as I offer today's benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you. Reveal his plans for you and give you peace. In your name we pray. God, I pray that that would be our testimony. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.